Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tonight on Piers Morgan Uncensored, a predictable panic on the left as Elon Musk takes charge of Twitter. Is this a brave new dawn for free speech, as I believe, or open season for hateful trolls? I'll talk live to Caitlyn Jenner. Pressure builds on the new Home Secretary, who was the last Home Secretary, over Britain's migrant crisis and a growing security scandal over her private emails. Is it time to sack Leaky Sue again? Plus fears that Prince Harry has sexed up his memoir to inflict maximum damage on the royal family. Should he now be stripped of his remaining royal titles? Live from London. This is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Well, good evening from London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. It's Halloween and something very, very scary is happening. I'm not talking about a ghoulish or paranormal event. It's not even the inflation rate. It's Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. And according to many so-called liberals who use the site obsessively, we should all be very, very afraid. It's like the gates of hell opened on this site said this Washington Post columnist. All the red lights are flashing here, says Ben Collins of NBC. This is an emergency. Twitter's about to be taken over by the evil Sith Lord, says this professor. Most absurdly of all, look at this MSNBC commentator who told his fellow crybabies, stay, hold your ground like a Ukrainian. Sorry? A free speech-loving maverick takes over a social media site and it's the equivalent of a genocidal dictator trying to take over a country. And wait, who's been helping the Ukrainians? Oh, that would be Elon Musk by donating $100 million worth of his Starlinks, these satellites which help the Ukrainian military connect with each other when everything else has been destroyed. Is he really the enemy to the Ukrainian people? America's top liberal TV network also collapsed into an immediate and predictable spasm of panic. Official. Musk is in, top executives are out, and the far right is rejoicing. What are we in for? Yes. Well, there you are. That kind of says it all. Um, you know, I think it's going to be really difficult. When did free speech become far right? Elon Musk isn't even conservative. He's, he's a fan of Bernie Sanders, but as left-wing as a, as a politician gets in America. What these people are really scared about is hearing opinions they don't agree with and having their own opinions challenged. Twitter has for a long time now been managed by a very woke workforce, which has systematically shadow-banned and buried commentators who are mainly on the right. All Elon Musk has said is he wants to restore Twitter to what it should have been, a digital town square where a wide range of beliefs can be healthily debated. That's not opening the gates of hell. It's not death threats, incitements to violence or hate speech. We have a word for those things already. It's called crime. A free speech Twitter simply means open debate about different ideas on what's arguably the single most important incubator of elite opinion in the world. Both sides make their case, you decide. That's free speech, that's democracy. Liberal people used to be in favour of it. 
Well, my first guest tonight is a passionate advocate for free speech, and she also knows more than most about what it's like to be trolled online. I'd like to say that Caitlyn Jenner joins me now, uh, I think from Hollywood. Caitlyn, how are you? You know what, Pierce, I'm doing just fine. Actually, very excited to see what's going to happen to social media now that uh, Elon Musk is in control of Twitter. I think it's going to be very interesting in the future. Actually, if I could, and this is going to take a little while for social media to kind of get used to this, the Elon Musk here. It's kind of almost like when Live Golf came in uh, mm -hmm. to the golf world, the PGA kind of had a monopoly going here. Well, social media has had a monopoly on, um, you know, the far left. And, and finally, Elon Musk came in and he wants a free speech platform for everybody, the left, the right. And uh, I think it's going to be good. And I think it's going to really shake up social media. Um, you look at Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, it was reported last week he lost like $100 million, or $100 billion, whatever it was, in value of Meta because he's been so far left for so long and a voice for the left um, uh, that people are, are leaving and going someplace else. So this is going to take some time to figure out exactly how it's going to work out. But I think it's going to be very good in the long run uh, for social media. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And I, I think Elon Musk, you know, he's proven himself to be a, a genius who likes to challenge orthodoxy in terms of how we think, whether it's electric cars, whether it's SpaceX, his extraordinary uh, space company, which does all these Starlink satellites as well, you know, and now this. I think he's the right guy because... As I keep trying to explain to people, he's not even someone who identifies as right-wing or conservative. You know, he's a Bernie Sanders fan. He's spent most of his life, actually, positioning himself politically to the left. And yet it's the people on the left who have gone so far left, in my opinion, that it makes people who are on the centre or maybe even slightly centre-right look like they're far-right by comparison. That's, that's been the problem. No, Elon Musk, I think, uh, is going to be very good for Twitter. I, I have met him on a couple of occasions. Um, actually, I got a, uh, I'm into aviation, and I got a private tour of SpaceX where they, uh, down at Hawthorne, where they build the rockets. And uh, he gave me an hour tour. We sat in his office. He was wonderful. Um, and I think he's, he is a big thinker. I mean, when you say you're going to start SpaceX, a space company, and you're going up, uh, you know, against NASA, uh, that takes a lot. You know, mm -hmm. that takes some pretty big ones there. And uh, I think he's going to do the same thing here. The first thing he's starting up with is he's going to make it a, a subscription um, where he has Twitter blue. Uh, I think one of the reasons why when he first got in and started looking into Twitter, uh, he saw that there were so many accounts that you couldn't verify and he wants to be able to verify it so he's going to put up for 1995 you can get a verified account on, on twitter blue and i think that's going to be very good you're you're going to get rid of a lot of the junk that's out there um he's immediately f started firing all the top executives in fact i think it was today he completely fired the entire board of twitter uh bringing his people in actually he's bringing in a lot of technical people from uh uh, from Tesla, and he's going to shake this thing up. I think it's going to be so interesting to watch, and I think it's going to be nothing but good. You know, I've been on Twitter. I've been shadow banned. In fact, interesting, uh, I was shadow banned 
the day it was announced that I joined Fox News as a contributor. Mm. I immediately got. Well, it's funny. Banned. It's funny you say, yeah, say that, that Caitlin, because oddly, I'd noticed over the last few months my Twitter following uh, number had gone down quite slowly but steadily for months and months and months. I was losing followers. But in the last two weeks, since it looked like Elon Musk was basically going to be taking it over, I've suddenly gained all the followers I lost in two weeks. Now, it might be coincidence. It might be, I don't know, they were taking away bots or something right. like that. Or it might just be that from the moment it looked like Elon Musk was actually going to run Twitter, a lot of the people doing this kind of shadow banning, which for people who don't know, they put you know, stuff in the technology which basically reduces right. the visibility of people they perceive to be conservative or maybe anti-woke or whatever it may be. Certainly in my case, it would be anti-woke, not conservative. But I, I smell a rat here. And I think you probably have experienced similar stuff, right? I've experienced the same thing. You know, here's a little trivia. Uh, I broke a Guinness Book of World Records on Twitter. When, when I came out, and the, I was not on Twitter, when I came out uh, and was on the cover of uh, Vanity Fair, uh, I immediately, when that came out, I immediately opened up my Twitter account. And I broke the world record for a broken set of Guinness Book of World Records for the fastest to one million followers. Um, Barack Obama had it at five hour, five hours and, and like 20 minutes. Uh, I did it in four hours and uh, two <laughs> minutes from zero to one million. I, would expect, I got a plaque I, inside my I would expect nothing else from an Olympian yeah, gold I medal would, champion. Yes. And so... Um, yeah, I've been with Twitter for a very long time, and yes, I've been shadow banned. I have also noticed in the last couple of weeks, uh, things have started to change. Uh, uh, your amount of engagements is going up. Mm. Um, I think it's, honestly, I think this is going to be good, not just for Twitter, but what, for what are the, if you were Elon social Musk, media. Uh, okay, if you were Elon, and you're looking at all the problems of Twitter, and I think we all know what they are. There are way too many anonymous bots and they can influence, I think, p political uh, issues in a manipulative way, which could potentially then manipulate votes and therefore elections. I think that remains a big concern. Also, this the amount of abuse, you know, racism, harassment, death threats and so on is still there. I, I see it, you know, every now and again, rear its ugly head. Yeah. Um, where for you, where is the line? So it's a very interesting debate, this, about where the line is for free speech. Where is free speech... And where for you, who's been on the subject oh, of a boy. lot of abuse and trolling, where for you is the line that gets crossed? Well, first of all, I think that's in Elon Musk's hands right now and the people that he brings in. He has to bring in some really good, competent people to be able to run Twitter. Because obviously, hate speech shouldn't be anywhere. Um, it shouldn't be online. It shouldn't be anywhere. And there is that fine line between hate speech and something that's either true or maybe not quite as, you know, true. Um, it's almost like, for me, it's almost like I, I get a lot of jokes about me. I've been roasted and this and everything. And there is that fine line between a funny joke that is really true, okay, and a funny joke that is, like, hateful. Mm. To me, that always, I don't want hateful jokes against me. I want funny jokes against me. And you can use me, and I love as good a laugh as anybody. But it's going to be the same thing with Twitter. 
um, where is that fine line? And I think that he's going to have to have very competent people in there uh, to be able to find out where that fine line is. Well, it's interesting and, that you mentioned comedy um, because he, he actually tweeted, comedy is legal again. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I responded by tweeting back two laughing emojis and a thumbs up, which he then, he then liked. Yeah. Very quickly. So I and being liked by Elon Musk on Twitter at the moment is a bit like getting a papal blessing from the Pope if you're a Catholic. Um, you know, it's like the ultimate validation. Yeah. Um, and it shows, of course, his own incredible engagement in Twitter. I mean, he's all over it. He reads everything, he, he sees everything, he's firing out tweets left, yeah, right, and center. I don't know how he does it. The guy's got a million things going on in his life. You know, he's sending rockets up to space. He's, uh, you know, developing the electric car, which nobody said they could really do and do it right. Mm. And he didn't. Still, Tesla's the best electric car on the market. SpaceX uh, is just killing. The only way uh, any, you know, astronauts can get to the space station is now SpaceX. NASA doesn't have any way to get him there. Right. So he's done an amazing job. And I think he'll do the same thing with with Twitter. It's going to take a little time to work it out, but I think Elon Musk is really good at getting good people in the right place. Yeah, I agree. And if they're not working out, he's afraid to, he's not, he's not, you know, afraid to fire somebody. No, no, I agree. If well, what would he you gets do? the right people in place. But he said today, if he had a, a, I think he had a dime or a dollar for everyone who's uh, asked him what he's going to do about Donald Trump, he'd be very rich, which of course he's already very rich. He's got $235 billion. But what would you do about Donald Trump? Would you let him back on the platform? Oh, of course. Yeah, why? It's a free speech platform now. Of course I would. Of course I would. You know what? It's interesting how the left is already starting to come after him. Just uh, on, uh, what was it, just today, uh, of course, a, a Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat from Connecticut, okay, on this Monday, uh, said that they have to review Twitter because um, um, for the Committee of Foreign Investment. Why? Because the Saudis, a lot of people don't know this, the Saudis have big in, been big investors in Twitter for many, many years. I think they hold about $1.89 billion in investment in Twitter. Most people don't know that. But now, all of a sudden, the left's going to come after and say, hey, we have to check out these investments. Saudi Arabia's been around for a long time with Twitter. They're the number two uh, stockholder behind uh, Elon Musk. But the left's going to take their shots. Um, I think Elon Musk is a very sharp guy. I mean, my argument, I about, gonna, um, my argument about Trump has been, from the start of this, is if you're going to ban Donald Trump, you can't then allow, as they've allowed, Vladimir Putin to retain his Twitter account, Taliban leaders, the supreme leader of Iran. There's no consistency there. Right. You know, you cannot allow no people like that to have accounts and say Donald Trump should be banned, in my, in my opinion. It's not a question of being right or left or any of these things. It's a question of balance and consistency. Yeah. And I do think the one thing Elon Musk is going to do, he's going to bring in a kind of a, a group of people from all walks of life, all political persuasions, and they're going to be the ones who form a consensus about who should be banned. Because there are some people who I think probably should be banned. You know, if you're going to be a, a yes. spewing, you know, racism or stuff which in, endangers people's lives, I would say Alex Jones, for example, would be one example to me where 
by spewing his lies about Sandy Hook and imperiling the lives of the relatives of the, the poor kids who died. I don't think he should have a platform to do that and endanger their lives, personally. Um, so I think there is a line, and I think he's going to get there with a group of people which will be far more rounded politically, probably, than the, than the current leadership group at Twitter. No, I totally agree with you. I think, uh, again, Elon Musk is very good at picking the right people to go to the right places. Um, yeah, hate speech on Twitter should not be there. Um, uh, maybe a different point of view, that can be there, you know, for the first time. Because the problem with Twitter is that they have been just, you know, for the left. And they ban people who's on the right. Like in my case, shadow banned. I work. I, I'm a conservative. Uh, love this country. Um, they will do everything um, uh, to uh, limit my speech. Okay, mm. but that doesn't happen on the left. I mean, they just totally let it go. I think what now with Elon Musk taking over, it's going to be a lot, much more um, well balanced as far as. Um, uh, who's on Twitter and what's who's what? Would you do? I've what? got to ask you, I, I know you don't want to talk about this in any depth, I completely understand why, because you have obviously a personal connection here, but uh, Kanye, you know, Ye West, who I interviewed last week, actually, in the US, you know, there's a, a big debate about whether he should be given social media platforms now. So setting aside your, the fact you obviously know him uh, through the family, what's, yeah. your view, what's your view about what well, he said yeah. and whether he should have a platform? First of all, uh, any anti-Semitic remarks uh, uh, should be totally condemned by everybody, no matter if it's on Twitter or wherever it is. So that's where I stand as far as... Um, and uh, that type of speech shouldn't be around. Yeah. I, that, yeah. To me, that is a line. that get, If that gets crossed, that, that should be it. Um, Caitlin, it's great to talk yeah. to you. I love you coming on the show. Please come back soon. You always talk a lot of sense. And I, I really right. appreciate it. It's always good to talk to you, Pierce. <laughs> Take care, Caitlin. Uh, well, next tonight, chaos in the channel. Chaos at a migrant processing centre and chaos over her use of private emails from government business. Is Leaky Suella Braverman about to be fired again? Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. British Home Secretary Suella Braverman is facing fresh demands as she quits tonight, just days after Rishi Sunak reappointed her in what increasingly looks like his first major misstep as Prime Minister. She's admitted sending sensitive government documents to her personal email account six times in as many weeks. Now she's under pressure over chaos at a migrant processing centre where 4,000 people are packed into a facility built for just 1,600. This evening, she told the House of Commons that the asylum system she runs is broken and that Britain is facing an invasion. Let's take a look. The British people deserve to know which party is serious about stopping the invasion on our southern coast and which party is not. Some 40,000 people have arrived on the south coast this year alone, many of them facilitated by criminal gangs, some of them actual members of criminal gangs. Well, joining me now is Conservative peer, Lord Martin. Lord Martin, thank you very much indeed for joining us tonight. Good evening, Piers. 
Here's my question about Leaky Sue, as she's been unfortunately nicknamed uh, because of all the <laughs> things that she's leaked, which is when Rishi Sunak uh, became Prime Minister and reappointed her for six days after she'd been effectively fired from government, um, I said at the time I thought that was a big mistake, that I thought you cannot bring somebody back that fast. And I also suspected, as we're now seeing, there would be more uh, to come in terms of the stuff that was being held against her. Um, you can't be happy, surely, as a Conservative peer, to see all this attention now back on Suella Braverman and, indeed, all this detail from this migrant centre where it looks like she has been at least partly responsible for all the chaos there. Well, I don't think she's responsible. She's only been in the job for 12 weeks. You know, this is a massive problem, Piers, as you know, which has been building for... Uh, a considerable time. 28,000, 38,000 migrants have come to this country this year. This is only the start with the global starvation that's happening around the world. And I've been traveling around the world recently in Commonwealth countries and seen the real trouble that's ahead. And we will have more of these uh, migrants coming in. And uh, as another point, you know, there are 117,000 people waiting for asylum. Uh, yeah, this but is an hang on a sec. This is the size of towns right, okay, across the look, country. My, my response... This hasn't just happened. Sorry right, to interrupt My response this. to that sorry is... Sorry to interrupt how, you. Can I, just, long... can I just... Sorry, let yeah, me interrupt. Right. How long have we oh, had sorry, a... Cons... Sorry. No, how... I just, can I, I'm just going to... Go on, sorry. finish. I... <laughs> Go on, you carry on. Carry on. Over. Well, you, over to you. My question for you, then... I know where you were going with that. My question for you is... I thought the Conservatives have been in charge for many years of this country. Why is the asylum yeah. system so broken? Why are these centres so dangerously overcrowded? Why is nothing working? Why are we processing just 4% of people? What is going on? And by the way, who else can you possibly blame but the Conservatives? Well, I'm not uh, going to shoulder that blame, but the, the issue is there is a government, there is the wheels of government that is meant to be dealing with this appalling crisis. And our sorrow goes out to those people who are having this terrible suffering, having to lean their own countries. But this is a crisis that's been going on for a long time. They can't get a chief executive for the border force. They're only paid 150000 They've had to promote from within. The, the lack of quality of people is obviously... And management is, is not helping this cause. You and I go to... We travel a lot. We return to this country. It takes us half an hour, 45 minutes to get through... Um, through the border force, and they then look as if we're something the cats brought in. I'm not surprised in my case, but in yours, you probably get a red carpet. But, you know, the system of government has broken down, and that is a real issue for any minister coming in. And uh, I think with uh, Home Office officials apparently only working 50% of the time in the office, there has got to be a real sea change in the attitude of the civil service to dealing with this crisis, because they are there in perpetuity. Well, look, I, again, I hate to be churlish here, but you're painting a very grim picture of this whole system, as indeed Suella Braverman did earlier in the Commons. But again, I need to remind you, as you're a Conservative peer, and as I would remind her if I had her on the show, but she won't come on, that it's actually <laughs> been a Conservative government that has presided over this catastrophe over the last decade. You can't pass yeah. the buck. It's The buck's uh, with you guys. The, the, there's no... I, I'm not standing here passing the buck at all. I'm merely saying that the, the levers of government have let 
the country down in lots of different ways over the last two to three years, and this is one of them, and it's coming to a real crisis. It's coming to a crisis because there is seemingly no cessation to it. It's going to increase, and I'd like to know what the border force are doing about it and, and what steps they're going to be taking. And, of course, it requires a leader in the Home Office to deal with it, but they can only operate as a leader with the right tools. That's my point, and I think you, you, you understand that point. Okay. Uh, well, let me... And I think Suella Braverman is being blamed for all this, and maybe she will be blamed for it all, but she shouldn't be blamed for this because she's only been there for a short period of time. Well, it looks like a lot of people are blaming here, including people right at the heart of government. And I come back to my central point. If you've been fired for breaching ministerial rules, you shouldn't be getting the same job back six days later. You know, as I think it was uh, Chris Bryant well, said in the Commons today, you know, I'm all for second chances and redemption, but you've got to serve some sentence first, is the way I normally understood justice. Let's bring in um, Jonathan Ashworth, who's the Shadow Work and Pension Secretary. Uh, Mr Ashworth, you're smirking away there. Is, is that because you find the Conservative position on this of, of the brass neck variety? I mean, it's staggering, isn't it? I mean, they've been in power for 12 years, Piers. And how many Home Secretaries have we had? They've all been Tory Home Secretaries in those 12 years. And I'm afraid Suella Braverman is a total liability. And she's only in place because of this grubby deal between her and Rishi Sunak, which... And in the end, it was a monumental failure of judgement on Sunak's part to bring her back. And all this, oh, it's not her fault. Well, you know, there's these question marks tonight as to whether she was clear about whether she commissioned these extra hotel rooms or not. The sources coming out saying she wasn't entirely... What she said in the House of Commons isn't entirely correct. This is an absolute shambles, and it's a shambles taking place on the Conservative should she, watch. Should she resign again? Well, I mean, I can't... Look... Her career is clearly going down the toilet. Whether she'll survive or not, I do not know. It's, we read, understand tonight that the kind of right-wing Boris Johnson-style ERG Tory MPs are, are sort of trying to support her and that number 10, the Rishi Sunak people, are hanging her out to dry. What a shambles! Last week, Rishi Sunak told us he was going to bring back integrity and professionalism. I just think it shows you that when it does come to Rishi Sunak, he does have... He is weak, and this is a failure of his judgment. Well, I mean, Lord Marland, you know, I'm actually a bit of a fan of Rishi Sunak, certainly by comparison to his two predecessors. Um, but I do think this is a big mistake. I do think you can see the volume of attention now on Suella Braverman is getting so intense. He might get forced into relieving of her duties again, and that will be a big blow to his premiership very early on. Well, you and I have observed politics for a very long time, Piers, and, of course, none of that would surprise us. Uh, you know, this immigration issue has been going on for a very long time. It's been a big problem for the country. We're a small island. Uh, Tony Blair was the first who really let the floodgates open. So to hear the camp from Labour is a little bit rich. We're now inheriting a very significant problem. It needs serious grasp and uh, real meaningful attempt to sort this matter out for the good of the country. And there's no point point scoring over this. It needs the Home Office to get a grip. It needs, as you, as you have identified, real leadership to get hold of it. And let's hope we do, because otherwise it's just going to get catastrophically worse. We're going to have loads and loads of people appearing here. We can't cope with them. We haven't been able to cope with them. And it's going to be a mess. 
a real mess. Jonathan Ashworth, my issue with the Labour Party position is I'm all for point scoring, by the way. I think that's what makes the political world go round. But I'm not entirely <laughs> sure that you lot have a clue what to do about this problem either. I've not really seen any great idea from the Labour Party which will solve this problem. Well, I mean, first of all, Tony Blair stopped being Prime Minister, I think, 15 years ago, so it's pretty it's pretty weak when the Tories are saying, oh, it's all Tony Blair's fault. I mean, goodness sake, get a grip, man. You've been in power for 12 years, or your party's been in power. Look, what would Labour do? Well, first of all, we know that criminal gangs are exploiting this system because it takes so long to process. We used to be processing around 28,000 a year. We're now processing... 14,000. There's some people waiting like, you know, the average wait is, uh, is like 400 weeks. It's well over a year to process some of these claims. If you were processing quicker and had a firm, fair system, we're getting, you know, obviously refugees and asylum seekers who are with genuine claims, they obviously we should be humane and compassionate. But the people who are being, uh, those who are exploiting the system, those, they need, those, they, they need their applications processed. And if they're not got the right to stay here, then we need what to would you do with the, the fact that the majority now of the people coming over on these boats appear to be Albanian men? So they're well, not from a war-torn country seeking genuine asylum or refugee status. They appear to be economic migrants. Well, their applications need to be turned around quickly. And, you know, where people are, asylum seekers and refugees, we are a compassionate country and we're proud of our compassionate nature. But where people are, are exploiting the system... Of course, we should be doing all we can to return them to other countries, which is also why you need a deal. You need a deal with France as well in this, and we've not got a deal. But part of this problem is, if you're not processing quickly, if you're leaving people languishing for 400 days, then criminal gangs will exploit this system. And that, in the end, does come back to the Tory Home Secretaries, because as we've been hearing from uh, our friend in the House of Lords there, he's, he, he himself is conceding that it's been a shambles, that there's all kinds of problems. Well, well I think the one say, thing, look, the one thing we can all agree on is it's been a complete shambles and it's getting worse, not better, and that's a very bad reflection on the succession of people put in charge of this country, and we can only hope that if Suella Braverman does survive, and I've got to say I think the jury is out on that, that she does something about this which works because the Rwanda policy, which we were told was her dream, has already turned out to be a complete fiasco. Uh, I've got to leave it there, Lord Marlon. Thank you very much, as always. You, I've got to say, to your Thanks, great Chris. credit, you come and face the music on behalf of the Conservative <laughs> Party when many run for cover or hide in fridges, and I appreciate it. And, uh, and Jonathan Ashworth, you always well, come I on, live, and I appreciate that I live that on too. the privilege of being on your show, Piers. Thank I you, Lord Marlon. I the privilege of being on your if show. If only some of your colleagues it's had a similar fun. attitude. The world would be a finer place. Uh, but thank you to well, you both. Appreciate it. No, thanks a lot. Well, still to come, I'm going to talk to the royal expert who believes King Charles will strip Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan Markle, of their titles if his new book trashes the Queen Consort Camilla. But next, I'm joined by my pack today. going to debate the Bradman debacle, the Guitar World Cup. And Nadine Doris. I think we've had enough of her on the show, haven't we? You won't want to miss this. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. As Elon Musk, the new boss of Twitter himself said, I hope even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that's what free speech means. Exactly right. And indeed, to celebrate this statement, one of my worst critics is joining me now tonight. <laughs> Welcome to you, Matthew Said from the Sunday Times. Good to have you. Thank you. Good to uh, be Kevin Maguire, my old friend, of course, in the Thank Daily you. Mirror. Uh, and Emily Sheffield, the long-suffering co-presenter of Piers Morgan Uncensored with Nadine Doris. That went well. Uh, <laughs> I tell you what, let's have a quick look at Nadine Doris in action because it was sort of monumentally, spectacularly fascinating. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Coming up on tonight's programme, for a change, a money was going to clear up a woman's mess. That's Rishi's file as he enters number 10. As, as you were, Sunak's stability extends to the Cabinet with the big beefsteak and all her... Uh, Cages, but Bradman back at home in the Home Office. Sorry, I've just completely messed up. They're in our studio and we've risked them for a clue. Stick around for Just Stop Oil live. You know, I told them to get somebody on who wasn't quite as good as me, but that was ridiculous. Um, no, it's not, not as easy as it looks, is it, Nadine? I should stick to politics. Actually, <laughs> maybe not. Anyway, um, Let's move on. To, now, Matthew, you've got a great book out about free speech. Genuinely mean that. It's a good book of free speech. But I can't let this opportunity go without reminding you what you once said about a public figure in this country. He takes crude stances. He seeks scapegoats for complex problems. He goads guests into simplistic answers and humiliates them when they think best of returning to the studio. A parasite on the contours of democracy, a temporary hero to the deluded souls for whom he becomes a cheerleader... He doesn't seem to care about what soapbox he's on, provided it's topical and divisive. Now, for the benefit of the viewers, <laughs> which, which beloved public figure was that? That was, if memory serves, I think that was you. It was me! <laughs> it was me. Uh, and you know what? We live in a democracy. I believe in free speech like you do. We have locked horns many times. But actually, I thought, given what's going on with Elon Musk and given the fact you've written a book about free speech, the best way for me to show that I mean it is to have one of my more voracious critics on and to say, you know what, we can disagree with each other. And hopefully at the end of it, we might like each other a little bit more than we started. We shouldn't be difficult. And, and, and in fairness, I think I should point out that in response, a barbed response mm. to that column uh, on television the next morning, you played out a clip before becoming a journalist. Mm. I think you know as a table tennis player, the British number one for yeah. 10 years, and he played a clip of me losing yes, badly to I a did. German player, and he said, this guy's a choker <laughs> if, he can't, if he can't win at table tennis. How can we take his opinion seriously on anything else? I think it's fair. You, you, you gave as good as you did. I played yeah. down to every worst fear you had about my behaviour. <laughs> It'll be good to see. Um, right, let's, let's talk about Elon Musk for a moment, then, Matthew, because I think it's a really interesting thing that's happening here, because Musk is not a right-winger by any conventional... Stand. He's a Bernie Sanders fan, one of the left-wing politicians in America. He's always historically talked about being on the left, and yet it's the left that are going most nuts about him taking over Twitter, I think, because they're used to really having their own way on Twitter, where it's the right that gets shadow banned, it's the right that get banned completely, mm. Trump and so on, uh, and it's never the ones on the left who often, in my view, behave just as disgracefully. Well, well for me, 
the great strength of, of liberal democratic societies is that we have opinions, we express them, hopefully courageously and occasionally in a slightly ad hominem fashion. But in order to dispute someone's view, you should refute it. You should come up with evidence as to why it's wrong. When we censor other opinions, we're denied the opportunity to engage with them. We can often push them underground. They can develop a greater cachet. I don't have a problem with listening to people who disagree with me. And it was, I think, Voltaire's most eminent biographer, I will defend to the death your right to say even that with which I disagree. We lose that in liberal societies. If we have a liberal set of institutions cohabiting with an illiberal mindset, yeah. I think it weakens us and it strengthens you know what, the Matthew, true autonomy. We have a lot more in common than you think, because I completely agree. Emily, this is the nub of it for me, is that the very people who call themselves liberals are behaving in not just an illiberal way, but actually with this cancel culture right. mentality, almost like the fascists that they profess to hate most. Well, I think one of the more worrying things I've seen is, is people at sort of Oxford and Cambridge University where you're not allowed to go and talk there. You're right. sort of de-platformed. But only if you're on the right, only if you're a conservative. But even some of these were, like, really mild. It was, it was like, there certainly weren't my opinion of what was on the right. And um, I don't think many people's of what was on the right. And, you know, we've just seen this with the trans debate... There are lots of nuances to many arguments. Right. If you don't sit and debate a nuance... You and get no solution. And, ..and complex issues, how, how are you going to come up with solutions or...? You, you can't just well, be... Let me, let me, let me look. Then let, me start, becoming, let me start with you by saying this. You're just becoming binary. Right, let me start with... For 40 years. Let me start, hang on. like the Sun, the Telegraph, the Mail and the yeah. Express trying to get people banned and lose their jobs for saying things they find unacceptable. Right. Yes, there's intolerance on the left. There's a huge... Number of I was about to say I was about to, I was about to tee you up by saying yeah. I think there are a lot of people on what I call the radical end of both yeah. ends of the spectrum, right mm. and left, who unfortunately dominate a lot of the noise yep. and airspace. Yep. You know, there's an amazing stat that 20% of people in Britain and America are on Twitter, but of that 20%, 10% of those make 80% of the noise, and they mm. tend to skew radical. Yeah. So you're getting a sort of constant reverberation of extremity of opinion. And that is, I think, diluting democracy yeah. in the process. Well, there's much to be angry about. But, of course, if, you, if you're on Twitter or most social media platforms, the more outrage you make, the more followers you will get. Yeah. And we saw mm. with Suella Braverman tonight, the Home Secretary, because she's accused of, uh, of unlawful behaviour, because she's accused of ignoring the ministerial code, and she gets, she gets a job back after six days, she talks about an invasion of the South Coast, and she knows that is incredibly inflammatory 24 hours after a petrol bomb attack on right. Dover. I, I but she does that because half of Twitter in the country will say, yeah, you're quite right, we're being invaded, and the other half will say that's incredibly inflammatory what do we do? and right. that is outrageous on the and same so Piers, can I just ask you yeah. one thing, because we were just looking at this in the green room. Sorry. Piers! It just feels like um, it. Yeah. We were just yeah. looking, so um, Donald Trump's son has just posted a picture mm. of a pair of pants and a hammer. Well, he retweeted somebody else's yes. as a Halloween so, thing about I'm just, Nancy Pelosi, I'm the just Speaker of the House. I'm just interested. We've just had Nancy Pelosi's husband attacked. Yeah. How do we How do we think about things like that? Well, there's like a very that? interesting debate to be because had about... that's not about any kind well, of Well, I'll tell you what that... my answer to that is. However stomach-churning that joke may be, around Halloween there's now this incredibly puritanical censorship going on where Halloween this used happened to... happened 24 I know, hours I know, ago. and I find it outrageous and horrible. Here's my point, though. Actually, I just come back from L.A. two days ago. 
In LA now, almost nobody can wear any costume on Halloween anymore. You're not even allowed to dress up as beauty, mm. right? Because somebody somewhere finds it offensive. Whereas the whole point of Halloween is to be grotesquely offensive. Mm. You dress up as the worst people in the world, no, or you can, mock the worst can, things that happen. Could this be argued? And I assume it can't be, otherwise Twitter would have removed it by now. Well, is, well maybe do, not. No, is no. this inciting hatred? This no, was an well, attack. Matthew, what do you think? I think? I think there's an important distinction between who is cracking down on the expression of an opinion. I think it's very dangerous when the state gets involved, which has the power right. to imprison... I mean, Twitter is a private company. It's a pri it is yeah. a private institution. Mm. It's part of private property. I think it, I would like to see people argue against other people's posts. I don't want to get the government involved no. in this. Except I, I think that's very, my point. In a very ah, yeah. small number of circumstances, we... incitement... To racial hatred, we, but incitement we, to violence yeah. is one of them, isn't it? But do we yeah. want unaccountable billionaires to own what is effectively the public? Well, an unaccountable square. billionaire. Well, hang because on. Unaccountable. You have it on Facebook as well. I know. An unaccountable billionaire owns the Washington Post. Yeah. Jeff Bezos, and that, that head is, of Amazon, and that is right? a problem. But all the journalists there will tell you he never interferes. Mm. He's put loads of money into journalism. Yeah. He's been a force for well, good. We know that... Just because you're rich and successful yeah. doesn't make you a bad person, Kevin. But I know we, you think But does. we know that Elon Musk is going to interfere in Twitter because he's made that point. And in fact, over the weekend, after that hammer attack, mm. he actually retweeted conspiracy he did, he theory he he was wrong. subsequently. But he's spreading, he's okay, spreading there oh, fake you, news. But look, you, on the left, they're is, trying to portray him as it. a devil. Here's the thing about Elon Musk. He brings in electric cars like nobody else in history, right? Big tick in the, in the box for me. SpaceX, particularly what he's doing with the Starlink satellites, which have been directly helping at vast expense to his company, yeah. helping Ukrainian military to connect with each other when all their internet and cell phone stuff goes down, right? He does a lot of very good stuff, Elon Musk. And he actually identifies as to the left. He just finds the yeah. kind of ultra-woke, cancel culture he, mentality completely yeah. irrational and, and destroying but, democracy. But, but and I agree with it. We're talking about free speech and him owning a huge platform. You could have mentioned when those uh, kids were tapped, uh, trapped in a cave in Thailand, he, he's called one of the people who saved one of the divers an he appalling did. He did. slur. So he's out of control when it comes to free speech. And, well, he, and he goes over into what you would call I don't think hate speech. Yeah, but hang on, hang on. OK. But it's very interesting, isn't it? Because insulting people or being offensive, actually, if you believe genuinely in free speech, then you are allowed to do that. I can offend you right now. Yeah. You might be offended right. and insulted, but it doesn't give you the right to stop but me you, saying right, something but you... unless I break a law. Now, if I yep. break a law, you have the right of the Criminal Justice Act in this country to come and he, take action. The question then is what the yep. law should be. I'm with you. I think unless it's physical harm, that you are in danger the of being subject the incitement to. Yeah. If it's just an insult... So, so you that's accept... That's quite hard that's, to prove, yeah, though, yeah. the incitement to violence. The right. court, and, you know, they, they the took Donald Trump it. off, which yeah. I don't think Elon Musk... But it should Elon be quite Musk, hard to prove, in my I think view. Elon Musk didn't agree with that, am I right? Yeah. He didn't think Donald Trump would have been taken off. And, and I do think, to Jack Dorsey's uh, defence, I think they genuinely thought Donald was using Twitter to incite violence. Well, I think it's a very, there's a very good argument <clears> that that is the case. But if you use that as the yardstick for banning Trump, You've got to look at what's happened with the supreme leader of Iran inciting hatred against Jewish people. Yep. You know, with the Taliban yep. inciting hatred against just about everybody. No, I agree. You've got to be or consistent. Vladimir Putin's yep. currently waging a legal yep. war in Ukraine. Well, look, look, yeah, look, look, Twitter made a lot of money from Trump by keeping him on for a long time, and they knew he was very strong as a, as a president. It was only when they saw he was going to be a loser and he was inciting insurrection they took they took it. I've off. got a li unfortunately we've run out of time because I loved just this, this mm. debate. I actually think it's the key debate of our time: free speech. 
I really think it's under attack like it's ever been. And people like Elon Musk, I think, are going to be the champions of saving free speech. We will see, mm. and we'll debate it again. But thank you. You've yeah. all got very interesting views yeah. on that. Good to see you, Matthew. Thank you. Wasn't so bad, was it? <laughs> well, coming next, will the Wynathon memoir from Prince Harry be the final straw for his father, King Charles? I the world expert says this book can see Harry finally stripped of his remaining titles. And somebody can agree Well, welcome back. First drafts of Prince Harry's forthcoming memoir were reportedly rejected by publishers, sparking concerns he's ramped up revelations now likely to rock the royal family. The new book's called Spare, an unsubtle whine about his life in Prince William's shadow, and it's due out just months before King Charles's coronation, which I'm sure his father is thrilled about. Well, joining me now is Vanity Fair royal editor Katie Nicholl and historian Dr Tessa Dunlop, fresh from her... Extraordinary uh, performance on Good Morning Britain today, which I happened to catch, actually. You were very fired up with old Tom Bauer. I was extremely angry on a couple of counts, yeah. yes. I Your was. position is that anyone who's written about the royals has no right to have adverse comment about absolutely Harry uh, doing his memoir. No, that's absolute uh, twisting oh, okay, okay. Uh, what I'm about, Piers. I've just written a book out next week, yeah. which uh, I'm very good at getting in there, yeah. Elizabeth and Philip, yeah. and I therefore cannot throw stones at glass houses. But I do take sincere objection to someone like Tom Bauer sitting there across the table from me and having a go at Harry and Meghan raking in the money off the back of the royal family. Tell me that Tom Bauer, with his ridiculous book, isn't any well, different. Well, OK, here's what I would say to that. A, he's a very good journalist and he's, he never gets sued. And Meghan is a brilliant PR person. Well, she, she might be actually... And actually, I don't mind her podcast. She has a pleasing voice. I don't disagree, disagree that she milks that PR mm. other like very few people I've seen. But I think on the central point he made by way of defence, which I agree with him about, he's, look, in the end, he's not... Prince Harry. He's not given royal titles. He's not had all the privilege and wealth that comes from being a royal, which is paid for by the British public. It's a completely different kettle of fish. Both of you are royal authors, but it's very, very different. And I would say, Katie, about this, this book by Harry, mm. if you're King Charles, you're mourning your mother and your oh, father not in the last two years. No, I'm, I'm you so don't sorry. I do believe mourning? that he was sincerely missing his parents. Right. Well, I, if you don't mind, I'll finish my question. Yeah. He's mourning both his parents. He's lost them the last two years. He's taken on being king after the longest apprenticeship in history and obviously very protective of his wife, Camilla, and the word is that Harry is going to take down Camilla in this book. If that happens, why, frankly, after they've already been spray-gunning the royals now for two years and, say, left for freedom and privacy, why should they keep the titles of Duke and Duchess of Sussex, a county, by the way, I come from, where I have spent more time in the last month than they've spent in, in their lives? Well, I, I think, and I've said this before, I know Tom said it as well, but I, I said it a while ago, I had a, on very good authority from a source close to the king, that if they do trash, mm. Camilla particularly is very, very protective, as yeah. you would expect of the Queen Consort, and if they use this as an opportunity to tarnish not just the reputation of the crown, but to attack Camilla, that really will... I, I think it'll be the nail in the coffin for the relationship honestly, and for the this is a family we're talking about. They had a pop at them on Oprah... Right, calling them a bunch of callous racists. Are they going to really do it all over again in a book? Do you know, if you don't want this book to succeed, if it irks you that much, oh, I I, stop I, talking about oh, no, it. Hang on, hang on. So, that, that's no, what no, I say to you. It will succeed. It will be a massive number one bestseller. That's not my argument. 
He's got to make his money back by getting out there and fucking. Well, My point is, he is trashing the very institution yes. and the people at the head of it, which have afforded them the titles, yeah. which is the only it, reason anybody it cares about. It is an extraordinary gilded cage, which comes with a dump load of privilege and lots of problems. Mm. It's a goldfish bowl from day one. Princess Elizabeth grew up in that goldfish bowl. Harry grew up in that goldfish bowl and couldn't really find another girl to go with him who wanted mm. to join him in the goldfish bowl, which is why Meghan became his saviour in many respects. The queen, oh, look at Philip, look at Philip the queen, when he first married The Queen married died, died one of the most beloved people in the world. Indeed she did. Because she never complained, she never explained, she never whined, she never trashed the monarchy, never trashed her family. She had her ups and downs. These two in California yes. want their royal cake and eat it. They want to make millions trading off their royal status while saying the royal family are god-awful. By the way, my father's awful, the Queen Camilla is awful, the monarchy is disgusting, and they want to make millions and, doing and it. And I believe... And I that say the they British, shouldn't be allowed to. I believe... I, I wish they weren't, but they are. And I believe the British monarchy should be broad-shouldered enough to just let it wash over, because that is last what you can... And that's no, what I the th Queen would want. I, I think, in, I think there's, there is an inevitability that if that is what they're setting out to do... And he may not necessarily, by the way. None of us have seen these extracts. They don't actually know what's in the... Trust book. me, they're not but paying that, 20 million for nothing. Uh, I agree. Random house but for a that, lot of guff. If that, is the, if that is the intention, then it can be very okay, damaging. OK, listen, you're both very good royal authors. You look very fetching in your king's hat. Me to bully as a bully. Come back soon. I'm not a bully. I just don't like people who are bullying the royal family.